Tonight's guest in the Honky Tonk Time Machine is a 10-time nominee for Male Vocalist of the Year at the CMAs and ACMs with a total of 16 number one hits under his belt throughout a storied career and one of the great voices of all time. It's my pleasure to welcome Colin Ray. Well, Glenn, thank you so much, and, th- and thank you for that awesome, awesome introduction. It's good to be with you tonight. Well, over the course of your fantastic career, you've earned that introduction. Uh, the hits are, uh, I, we don't even have time to talk about all the hits. It's It's been an amazing run for you, and you're, you're still going, still touring, still making music. Man, I tell you, yeah, well, I, and that's something. I mean, we'll be, I guess, this technically... I'm getting close to the 30-year mark. Wow! Which is, which I know when you think about that and you look in the mirror, you go, "Okay, I see all 30 of those years." (laughs) You know, (laughs) but 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 honestly, I'm I have uh, so I think artists from my my era in general are just so thankful and grateful because I don't think any of us saw this coming. You know, I mean, when you when you when you get your your record deal and you you're hoping for a radio hit or two and you're thinking, man, if I could just if I could just break through the radio and have a five-year run, I would feel like I accomplished my goal, my dream, you know. And uh, But the fact that we're still going strong after all these years and people still remember these songs and people still want to hear these songs and, and come see us perform them live. I mean, in the last, oh gosh, the last three years, I bet I've worked, I've done more dates, more concert dates every year than I did probably the 10 years prior to that. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like, um, 90s countries making a really really big comeback and and I, I could not be could not be happier about that it really is and that that's you know the reason we started this show we've been going strong for nine months now and we've had a lot of your colleagues on in fact we've had your tour buddies on uh sammy kershaw and aaron tippen part of the, oh, the yeah. roots and boots tour and they both spoke very highly of you i should say <laughs> oh well I, oh that's so sweet of them and i tell you they're like my brothers at this point because we've done that roots and boots a tour now for I've been a part of it I think for going on four years and uh, it's a, it's a great idea for a tour too I just think it, it's the fact that when the fans can come in and they know they're going to get hit after hit after hit and there, and we all three had so many hits thank goodness that, that you know there's no way we can get any, get them all in there but we play the biggest ones the most remembered ones the most requested ones and I think the the real added bonus of that that tour is that we all cut up and get along so well, and we spend a lot of that time on stage together uh, and sing together and on each other's songs and whatnot. And the camaraderie is just, it just makes it really, really special. And and uh, and I, what's cool about Roots and Boots is to me is it, it's a perfect uh, microcosm of '90s country. And by that I mean it was a lot of different uh, sounds in '90s country that was all country music. It was all country, but it was different. And every artist you'd hear on the radio, you knew immediately who it was. You know, and and uh, like Aaron and Sammy and my music were all very different. And our records sound very, very different, but yet they coexist really well together because it was good quality, good quality songs and good quality records. You know, so so we're just gonna we're gonna keep doing that till people don't want it anymore because we we really enjoy working together. And that tour just came through here. I want to say it was last year, 2019. You guys yeah. were in town in, in Sykeston for the Sykeston JC Boot Hill Rodeo, which is. About yes, 30, that was it. Yeah, thirty was, miles south of it. I was trying us. to think of that while ago. Where, where, what? And I now remember, you're exactly right. It was a rodeo. And I'm sure that's not the only time you've been through. But what's your impression of this part of the country? Oh heck no! Over the years, I've been there so many times, and and uh, I just love that area because you know I'm I'm from uh, Arkansas, right? Yeah, which is just a neighboring state down, and and uh, so I just I just feel like for country music, especially, that's one of the real. Uh, how should I put it? Real mainstay areas of, of the United States for country music. It's re- real consistent, and and the fans there uh, 
don't just know. Uh, seems to be they they don't just know the the, the surface stuff. You know, they really they really know your music really well. Not, you know, not just the main two or three songs you've done, but they they're familiar with all your work. And they and a lot of those folks too are, have been listening to country music since their, their entire lives, the same way I grew up. Uh, to where they know Merle Haggard too, you know, and they know Waylon Jennings too, and they know Glenn Campbell, you know, and so uh, it's I don't know, it's always been a really good a really good fit I think in that part of the country. And uh, but I tell you what, right now with with um, the, you know the, the fact that we had to lose so many touring dates and and uh, looking forward to, to to getting that back next year, you know, I'm, a, I'm I believe it's coming back and and uh one way or another and and i i that's one of the areas i really can't wait to get back to because i I just feel i feel very much at home there well we definitely love you and 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 sammy and aaron as well and and we would definitely welcome you guys back if you if you chose to do so oh we'll be there (laughs) you heard it here first now tonight colin we're going to play most of your big hits throughout your career however i do want to mention you're still making new music in fact you've got an album out right now and it features collaborations with miranda lambert vince gill and Dan Auerbach from the Black Keys. The album is called Scars. What can you tell us about it? It's the most, uh, I think, personal record album I've ever done because it's. I wrote everything on the album except two songs that my brother Scotty wrote, and so I've never, I could, I've never been able to say that about any record. You know that that uh, the the label was only interested in me cutting my own songs, and uh, and because we kind of aimed it more in the in the Americana direction. Uh, they, they, that's what they wanted. They wanted an Americana record, and I thought, well, to me, what Americana is is it's a little bit country, it's a little bit uh, folk, it's a little bit bluegrass, it's a little bit rock and roll, you know. And so I thought this this could be a good fit for me, and this will be a, a fun record to make. And so I felt like there were really no boundaries as to what the subject matter of the songs could be about, or uh, or just the, the styles and mixing styles together. And of course, having Miranda come on and sing on the title track was, was just awesome. She, she had, uh, the song scars, my brother wrote that like, Oh gosh, 18 years ago or so. And he's been with Miranda since she, since she began, um, when she was 17 years old. And so I, you know, that's when he introduced me to her, she was just a kid, you know, and, and she, she had always loved that song scars and had, uh, talked about maybe recording it herself at some point. And I'd heard her do it live at these little, uh, you know, acoustic rider things that she would do around town and stuff. And uh, but she was afraid to do it because she said she thought she was too young <laughs> because <laughs> to be because the songs about you know pe- people's emotional scars they develop over their lifetime and and looking back on them and learning to appreciate them and and and, and uh, embrace it. You know, it's a really deep song. And and uh, so anyway, once once I recorded it on this record, you know, the first thought Scotty and I had was, hey, I wonder if Miranda would sing harmony with me on this and she did and of course did a, uh, an amazing job and i think it really kind of just anointed the record a little bit by having her on there and to be able to work with vince gill and, and in my opinion you and vince are two of the best if not the best male vocalists of all time in country music so to be able to work oh, to thank be, you you're what welcome to, say. to be thank able to work so with him though i mean how how is that Man, thank you for saying that. That's that's high praise. And I, you know, again, I, I can't say enough good things about Vince. He's just an amazing talent. In every he's the the full package. You know, the total package of uh, you know voice, writing, guitar playing, entertainer. Just he's just great. And and it was kind of a, a full circle moment in a way because he actually sang on my very very first single back in 1990 called uh, All I Can Be Is a Sweet Memory. That was the first release we we sent to radio, and it went to like number 22 on the charts and then love me came next and that 
course, went to number one and, and really got me going. But the first single uh, was that, All I Can Be. And Vince had sang the demo to that. Uh, Harlan Howard wrote the song, and Vince had sang the demo. So I learned that song from a Vince Gill demo. Hmm. And so John Hobbs, my producer, got Vince in the studio uh, to come in uh, one evening and, and put that vocal down. And so, so it was so, it's like kind of cool that here we are 30 years later, and he's back again, you know, singing with me on, on Rodeo Girls. So, it, again, like the Miranda thing, it's just a, it just adds a, 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 an element of coolness, you know, to have, to have Vince on there. Vince is always so generous with his voice and generous with his time. He always says yes when you ask him. I shouldn't be surprised he he sang backup for you because he's sang backup for almost everybody, especially when you go back through the nineties. <laughs> oh yeah, I don't think there's ever been a country music voice on more records than yeah. Skill, you know, and he always sounds wonderful because yeah, he's just he's just such a great singer. And I've I've often said about him, I think he enjoys singing harmony more than he enjoys singing lead. He just which makes him a perfect fit for the Eagles. Absolutely, you know, because, yeah, because they're very much harmony driven, you know, and so he he fits with them like a like a glove, you know. Well, the new album from Colin Ray, it's called Scars, and it is available. I was previewing that a little bit uh, this morning, Colin, and uh, I noticed a song called Rock and Roll Bone. Um, <laughs> how much were you influenced by rock and roll? Because I remember from your Direct Hits album, uh, you had the Journey cover on there, and you, you sing a really mean power ballad. So how much did rock really inspire you? Man, it, well, it's that song, I kind of felt like a, it, my brother was involved in this album a lot, which was, again, kind of a full circle thing because we, we had not done that ever. And, but we started this journey together when we were kids, you know, and so, and so I just kind of felt like telling our story about how our musical journey began. I mean, and it started when we were, when I was like four years old and he was like six years old, listening to Buck Owens records and early Merle Haggard records and, and you know, Glenn Campbell and Johnny Cash and Waylon and, and uh, Johnny Horton, Jim Reeves. I mean, that's that my family. My mom and dad loved country music. It was like it was like uh, breathing to, to our family. I mean, when we'd finish uh, dinner and stuff, Daddy rarely would turn the TV on. He went in there and start putting records on, and we'd sit there and listen to the records he liked over and over and over again. And, and that's what uh, I think taught me and Scotty how to love country music and appreciate it so much because because my my dad listened to it so intently, you know. Uh, and then so I, I write about that, and then and then by the time I became a young teenager and, and you know 13 years old, I went to I went to see my first rock and roll concert. It was Foghat, and it changed my life because because it was so loud and big and bombastic and just glit you know glitz and and I and, and I you know saw the reaction of the girls in the crowd and things like that. And I thought, oh my gosh, because I'd been to a ton of country music shows prior to that, and in those days, country. Country music concerts were no matter who it was. I mean, it could have been any, you know anyone. The biggest are you know, Johnny Cash. It could be anyone, but there was never a big sound system. You know, it was kind of like they, they just kind of played at a high school high school uh, uh, gym or something. You know, that's where you'd see these people or an auditorium, and they just played on the, the the house public address system. So it was never the sound wasn't that good. You know, and because mm-hmm. no one expected it to be good, and then all of a sudden here I am in Shreveport. Watching Foghat and the Jay Giles band, and it was and it was just like knocked me down, you know. And it, and so that got me to where I really love uh, arena rock and stuff. And so over the next few years, my teens, whatever money we could scrape together, we were always uh, you know buying rock and roll concert tickets to see everybody and anyone that came through that area from Dallas to Shreveport to Little Rock, you know. And we'd get there, and so I just learned. Uh, and I, and I know for a fact Garth grew up the same way, and 
and uh, Travis Tritt grew up the same way. And there's di- there's just certain artists that you you know were affected by that as much as they were by by country music. And so, uh, and and I was lucky enough to be around at a time in the '90s where you could kind of mesh those things together. And and I still I'm still doing it that way. So so rock and roll bone is kind of a our autobiography, our musical autobiography, you might say. I want to get into some of the big hits, and and you have so many that it's going to be tough for me time-wise to pick which ones we want to talk about. So before I do, how about I just ask you this? Of your biggest hits, Colin, what would you say your your favorite song to perform would be? That would be easy, uh, Little Rock. I love love that song. Tom Douglas wrote that song, and uh, of all my hits, um, some of them almost become, as you, you know, you perform anything thousands and thousands of times, it almost becomes kind of automatic, you know, into in, in where you're performing it. When you're on stage, you're you're performing it. You're not necessarily thinking about the lyrics anymore because it's just part of your show, you know. But Little Rock is is special because it's there's something about that song. I think just because it's so well written and it tells such a deep story that I never look at that one in an automatic way. I always feel like I'm singing it for the first time. And it's almost like a something from a Broadway show or something, you know, it's just, it's so picturesque. And so whenever I start singing the first line, I feel like I'm in the zone in the studio for the, again, for the first time trying to sing it. And uh, so I think of all the hits, that would definitely be uh, my number one favorite. That song touches on alcoholism a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, how much of a response did you get from people across the country who were, who were struggling with that type of thing? Oh man, we well we got we tagged the video at the end of the video for Little Rock. We tagged it with the the um, the one eight hundred number for Al Anon and Alateen, just to see if we could maybe do some good with it. You know, mm-hmm. if maybe it might inspire someone out there who was going through a similar situation to call and get help. And in the first month that that video was released, we had over two hundred fifty thousand calls come into Al Anon and Alateen from problem alcoholics or family members, sometimes children of problem alcoholics that was calling to see what can I do, what can I do, how can how can my daddy or mama get help, or, or often it was the, the alcoholic themselves who was saying, I, I I saw that video and it I broke down and it just made me real, you know, so it definitely had that kind of an impact, and, and uh, so so it was more successful in that in that uh, area than we ever anticipated, and that, this went on for years, I mean, people... I mean, throughout the 90s, I think we released it in 93, 94, something like that. And uh, in, the, in the 2000s, people are still telling me that. So that's just that's just a, 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 a great testament to how powerful music can be and how powerful a song can be. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that one because that was one that I definitely wanted to ask you about, one of my yeah. favorites, too. Another one that I can't not ask you about is, of course, your first number one in in love me from 1991 that's the song like you said all i can be was was kind of the the debut single but love me was the one that kind of took you to that next level wasn't it oh for sure and i remember when all i can be stopped on the chart at 22 every we were a little scared because 22 is good for a brand new i was happy with that and then the video to all i can be went number one on 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 tnn and cmt so we thought well we got something going here so but I don't know if how much radio is going to embrace me or not. And so then Love Me was the second single, and it it was flying up the chart. I mean, like every week it would jump 12 to 15 spots, and, and we thought, oh, my gosh, we got a hit. We got a hit. And then it got to number one and sat there for three weeks at number one. And so that will always be the game changer. That song will always be the game changer for me. And 
And uh, I, it's it's just universal. I mean, I've sang that song all over the world, and people know the words to it. You know, and I can I can take the mic away from my face and hold it out to the audience, and they'll just take over anytime I do that. And uh, it, you know, again, it's such a it's it that never gets uh, that never gets uh, old to me. I never I never not take I never take that for granted because it's 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 just an amazing thing because I remember again being a fan of, of of the greats when I was young and I'd see them do things like that and think man what must that feel like to have a song that the whole world knows you know or most of the whole world knows and so I've got one and and I, I just think that's um, that's that's an incredible feeling and and it was a it was a true gift to me I was a gift from God to get a song like that for a brand new artist you know that had not done anything yet. Skip Ewing co-wrote that song, and, and we heard that name a lot when we were talking to Brian White, another great vocalist, uh, a few weeks mm-hmm. back. And uh, what, what a great songwriter Skip Ewing is. Oh, yeah. And I've, I've, uh, I mean, and, and Brian's my buddy. I love Brian White so much. He's one of my very favorite people in this business and uh, a great artist. But, yeah, he had a lot of Skip Ewing written songs. Mm-hmm. And, and I've just heard so many stories about Skip because I, yeah, I haven't seen Skip in a long time, but uh, uh, Clint Black told me something that we do. Yeah, I remember that I, one. My, maybe my favorite Clint Black song. It's just this beautiful love song. It isn't something that we. It isn't some place that we fall. It's something that we do. And and uh, I told him, so "What's it like writing with Skip Ewing?" He he said, it's, "He said it's like watching a football game when your team's really winning." Because <laughs> <laughs> he said, "He said you just go in there." And he says, "I had the idea. I walked in and I said, well, 'Well, I got Skip. I got this idea about you know." Love is a love is a verb. It's not a noun. It's a, it's a, something that it's like something that we do. And he, says, and he says, and Skip just took over after that, and said within twenty minutes that song was written. I wow. mean, Skip Ewing's one of those kind of guys that just like got yeah, the Hank Williams. They say Hank Williams could could do that. Could write a song fifteen twenty minutes, and uh, so it's. I mean, that's it. He's great. Skip's one of the all time greats that this town has ever produced. Uh, as a songwriter, and uh, again, man, I, I got so lucky getting getting a song like that right out of the gate. Now, over the course of a 30-year career, you're, you're bound to be able to work with some great songwriters. He was one of them. Another one is another guy that we've been able to have on the show, very fortunate, and Leroy Parnell. Uh, mm-hmm. Leroy wrote That's My Story, correct? Yes, he did. Him and Tony Hazelden wrote that song, and, and at the time, when I got that, That's My Story pitched to me, it was, and Leroy was doing the demo to it, and his his demo was great. I mean, it was real a little more bluesy than the way we we decided to go with it. Um, but it was like this is a great song, and and my first thought was, you mean Leroy's willing to give this song up? Mm-hmm. Because he 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 was on uh, I think he was on Arista Records at the time, and he he was doing pretty good. You know, and I'm thinking this is a hit, this is a hit, and I said it's, he he's not going to do it. And he says no, he want they they want you to do it. And so I said, well, I said, yes, sir, I'll tell, I'll be glad to, you know, and we did it very animated and very, very rock and roll and, and tried to, uh, there's so much humor in that song. We, we tried to really, fo- you know, make it, make it a humorous record where it makes, where makes everybody smile. And uh, so, so I'm very grateful for that because I'll say next to Love Me, that's my story would be the, the, the next most recognizable song I have. Maybe even more so in many ways because I've played in Europe and different places, and even if they they're not familiar with American country music that much, they all know that that chord. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> and they'll they'll sing that, and I think that's just because it's such it's it's funny. It's not like and I it became, it became that phrase kind of became part of pop culture 
for a while. I remember, I think it was Colin Quinn who was on Saturday Night Live at the time. He was doing that news thing they do, your weekend update. And he would always sign off by saying, I'm, you know, I'm Colin Quinn and that's my story and I'm sticking to it, you know. And so, I, I mean, a lot of foot, uh, sports teams use it on, uh, like at baseball games and something, you know, like if the umpire is having an argument with a, with a manager or something like that, they would flash that on the scoreboard and said, that's my story. And I was thinking, <laughs> you know, so, so I was, that made me really proud that we, we put out something that had that kind of a, 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 a multinational impact. You know, and, I, and it's just, it's a funny song. And, and a call and ratio to this day would not be complete without That's My Story. I mean, people look forward to that one. And, and it's, it's been a showpiece uh, uh, part of my concerts for ever since, the, ever since it came out. Whose idea was it to put the little stutter in? Uh, I, think it's, I think it's on the last verse there towards the end of the song. Was that Leroy that did that? that or? No, I, that was me. That was I, you. I, I, All right. I, yeah, I came up with that idea because I, I was just, because when you're singing, when you're making records, you know, I learned early on that you, it's a character. Every song, every song is calling for a certain character and it's almost like acting. Uh, and to, to where you can get your voice to do certain things that help sell the song and make it believable. That's, I think that's the difference between a, a recording artist and a singer. You, you, the recording artist is somebody that can, can play a character. And that song was screaming for a nervous, funny, character that was that was had his back against the wall and was getting and she was just letting him have it you know and so so i felt like the stutter was a was a good idea you know just to kind of help sell that and that had a lot to do with the success of it i remember uh, uh right at, when that song was out i was sitting right behind garth at uh, the cma awards and i thought when he first came in and sat down he, he turned around and talked to me for a minute <laughs> and was the, he goes i love that's my story he says the best part about it is the stutter <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well that's that's good. That's high praise coming from him. Yeah, you got the Garth stamp of approval. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he also said, "I wish I'd had that." Yeah, well, I'm glad you didn't. <laughs> Another great writer you've had the fortune to work with was uh, Phil Vassar. In '97, in you recorded "Little Red Rodeo," and that that was uh, on that direct hits album as well. Uh, that was a little before Phil got his break and got his recording contract, but uh, that was a, a good partnership for you too, wasn't it? Oh yeah, and Phil I had known since he first hit town, and and there was such a buzz about him. Everybody was like, "Oh, this guy, you got to see this piano player. That he sings great, and he's a, a songwriting machine, you know." And Little Red Rodeo was his first cut as a writer, and and so that so I'm real proud of that. It, that he, you know, that that song was the first one, and and I got to do it, and it went on to be a big hit for us. And and then he wrote the, the couple of big hits for Jody Messina and got his own record deal, and the rest is history, you know. But yeah, that dude uh, has always been talented. I said, you know, when we we would go see him in these lo a couple of local clubs around here, he'd be playing with his band, and he had a smoking band, and he would do everything. I mean, I got up one night, and he and I did scenes from an Italian restaurant by Billy Joel together because him and his band knew it, and that's not an easy song to mm -hmm. do. And and I just knew it because I, I just know me and songs, you know. So I got got up and did that with him, and I thought this this guy's good. He's the real deal, you know. And so love feel to death. And and last time I worked with him, he still sings and plays as good as ever. Sounds sounds the same, and sa and kind of looks the same. He has he's, he's aged very gracefully. <laughs> <laughs> that '97 year was a part of a year where you started putting out a few more uh, up tempo songs. Uh, On the verge and what the heart wants also came out that year. Yeah, On the Verge, uh, it was written by, man, maybe my favorite Nashville songwriter of my era, and that's Hugh Presswood. Uh, Hugh, Hugh wrote some other songs for me, too. April Fool, Heart Full of Rain, 
corner of the heart. But the single uh, that we did on him was was on the verge, and, and I always just believe he's such a poet. I mean, and and uh, there's something about that song, and I still hear this today that when you hear it, it just the, the chorus just opens up, and it's like Disneyland. It's just it's just so bright and happy and bouncy, and that's what we were going for. We, this is a beautiful song. It's a love song, and it's light. And I think when it came out, around the time it came out, there was starting to be some 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 songs that were coming out on radio that was a real departure for country music. And, and a lot of people liked it, a lot of people didn't. And but all, and but all I heard from On the Verge was uh, people said that was the best record of this year. That was the best record I heard all year. And and, I was, and a lot of artists, I mean, Randy Owen of Alabama told me that. And you know, uh, the Oak Ridge Boys, you know, different people like that that I admired so much. Would, would when they see me they say on the verge that's just a great record that might be your best record you know and so <clears throat> I, I give all the credit to my producer John Hobbs and Paul Worley for for, for making that kind of a, uh, a a brilliant record and the great Hugh Presswood just just one of the greatest songwriters that ever picked up a pen and as far as what the heart wants the line it ain't the mind that calls the shots around here yeah yeah absolutely love that. I know what a line. I mean, he, he just, he, so many songs. I and mean, he wrote uh, the song Remembers When for Trisha Yearwood. You oh, know, yeah. This, this, guy's a, this guy's a poet. And, and uh, it's, 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 sadly enough, we don't get to hear his songs anymore. Because I guarantee you, he's still up in Long Island, New York, writing great songs. But, you know, country music's changed a lot in the last 20 years, you know. And so, so there may not be a place for songs like that anymore. I hope there will be again someday. Uh, but, boy, he had a run back in the day. And I, I was just really... Uh, proud and thankful to be a, a, a part of it. 97 might have been the year for tempo songs. 95 was the year for slower ballads, and, and you've had so many of those, but l- let's talk about 95. If I Were You, Not That Different, One Boy, One Girl. Uh, all three of those came out that year, and all three, just beautiful, awesome songs. Oh, thank you so much. And If I Were You, I just, uh, Chris Farron and my uh, producer John Hobbs wrote that, and I, first, as soon as I heard that, I thought, oh my gosh, that's a perfect Colin Ray song, and Beautiful love song, big chorus, big chorus, just an incredible hook. If I were you, I'd fall in love with me. So we we knew that was we we felt like it would be a number one, and it was. And then the other two you mentioned were also number ones. They they both went all the way to number one. One boy, one girl. Uh, Shay Smith, the writer, pitched me that, and I heard that. And again, I, when it got to the twins line, I thought, oh my gosh, this is this is this one's money in the bank. You know, I knew that, I knew I knew that was going to be. A hit song, and, and it went to number one. And not that different. Uh, Karen Taylor Good, who's a wonderful songwriter, um, uh, wrote that one. And and Joy Scott, two great writers, and uh, they're just both sweet as they can be. Good friends of mine. And I just love what it said, you know, because I thought we could really do some do something with this. And and it was uh, so. Steve, I got Stephen Goldman to do the video to Not That Different, and because I I knew he was. He was good at those kind of songs, at coming up with videos for those kind of songs. And so we went to New York City, which is an incredibly diverse place, you know. And and uh, everyone in that video, for people who've seen that video or who go on YouTube and see it now, everybody in that video except the main couple, they're act. Those two are actors. Everybody else was people he found on the streets and stuff. And it's just it's a one of my very favorite videos I ever did, just because. Uh, because of, of what it says and again went to number one i've always loved the song i think about you um I, I think i've just always liked the tempo of it never really thought too much about the words until i had a daughter 
And, oh, yeah. <laughs> and now it, it it really tugs at my heartstrings. Um, anything come to mind about recording that song or, or maybe a story behind I Think About You? Oh, yeah, well, because, you know, I've uh, had a, I've da- have a daughter, Brittany, and, and she was, at the time we cut that song, she was probably tw- 12, maybe. And uh, and so, of course, that hit home to me, too. And it's, looking, it's just looking at, kind of makes you look at women from a different perspective. Because yeah, as men, you know, we we always look at them and say, "Oh, if you see see a hot girl, see a beautiful girl. Oh, look at that, look at that," and you forget that that's somebody's daughter, mm-hmm. you know. And so I thought, well, what a what a great idea for a song. So Don Schlitz, the great who wrote the Gambler, I mean, and many other classic songs, Don Schlitz and Steve Seskin wrote. I think about you, and we actually tried to record that twice. We uh, on Extremes album, we had it, and we just didn't hook it. And we it was like, ah, this is the song's better than this record is. You know, we haven't, we didn't do it, so we, so we let it go. And then, so we came back around, and John Hobbs just really believed in the song, and he says, I'd like to try that again. And we, and we found that that groove that, and it kind of it did, that guitar riff just kind of gave it a bounce that we that we didn't have before. And then now it's starting to sound like a record, you know, because I think I think about use one of those songs that wouldn't have been a hit necessarily without it being the right kind of record because the subject matter is kind of heavy you know and so so when you're playing when you're trying to get a song played on radio it has to be something that's going to sound good when it when it starts out people recognize it and there's something about especially if it's an up-tempo song like that there there needs to be a certain groove or a certain lick or a certain feel that you have to capture in the studio to make it work on radio and i think and i think about you to me was 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 certainly one of those songs, and it went. I think it went number one on one of the three charts, but and then the other two was like you know, number three, number four, something like that. So again, it was a big, big hit. And the video, of course, we won. We won uh, video of the year at the ACMs that year for that one. That's right. Yeah, and and there are too many artists, Colin, in the '90s that were as consistent as you were. From your first number one, "Love Me" in '91, you kept putting out big time hits all the way through the decade into. The late 90s with uh, I Can Still Feel You, which is maybe my favorite song of yours. It's certainly top two or three for me. Uh, what do you remember about that one? Oh, man, well, Paul Worley played that song uh, for me, the demo to it. And, and I mean, immediately I just thought, what a cool song. And, and again, it, it fit my voice so well because it has the uh, – and it, the words come fast. So I thought, it, you know, it was, it was a, it's a tough song to sing we, when we do it live now. It's it's a you really got to chew them up because look, that chorus comes fast. But I'd never heard a song with that kind of groove to it, and and that kind of that kind of feel. Even in the demo, you could hear it in the demo. So well, this this is a good song. This is cool, and this will be something different. Um, and that was the first single from the album uh, "The Walls Came Down," which is probably my favorite album of the Sony the Sony years. Um, and uh, it was because it, it was just a personal record. There's a lot of things on there that I got to do that maybe I didn't have the freedom to do on previous albums. And so we came out of the box strong with that one, and that one flew up to number one. And uh, uh, and it, but to this day, I mean, I do, that's one of my staples. I'll do that even like in the the Roots and Boots show where I'm limited as to how many songs I get to do. We all we all wind up doing about eight, seven or eight. A piece, uh, and that one has to be in there because people know it. And 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 it's also kind of cool. Is it's one of those songs that people uh, they forget about it until we start playing it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like they're they're expecting that's my story. They're expecting Little Red Rodeo. They're expecting you know One Boy One Girl Love Me, Little Rock. 
but they don't they forget about that one until we go into it and then they go nuts so it's like it's it's one of those kind of uh, surprise reminder things you know but uh, great great song and I, again another number one it's like sometimes you talk to people and they don't realize they're a fan of a certain artist until you start listening all the songs they do. You have a ton of songs that, that come to mind like that. Like off that same album, for instance, anyone else, another one that I th- I just thought was, was fantastic. Oh, again, Radney Foster from Texas. He's in Foster and Lloyd and everybody loved Radney. Just, yeah. Just a, a great writer and a wonderful singer himself. And uh, we were cutting that studio over at, uh, I think, Woodmont Studio. Or Wood, yeah, Woodmont Studios. And, and he... Uh, came over, he called Paul and Worley and said, you know, I got a song I'd love to play for Colin personally, if I could. So he came over with his guitar and sang Anyone Else. So we were like, oh, yeah. And I, and I just love it. It had that kind of, uh, that kind of Eagles feel, peaceful, easy feeling kind of yeah. kind of groove, you know. And uh, and again, just a great, great lyric. And it's it, that's and for up-tempo songs, it's always harder to find hit up-tempo songs to me than it is ballads because it's, 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 with an up tempo song, it's got to. It's. It's. I should say it's hard to find one that that says something. Because a lot of times you're, you, you're. A lot of times the up tempo ones are just kind of silly, you know. But anyone else is one of those that it's a good up tempo song that just feels really good, very well written, very poetic, and just just a a great love song that I think uh, that most people at one point or another in their life can relate to. Brian White said the exact same thing, by the way, about the up-tempos and the ballads. It, it, like, word for word, said the exact same thing. It's true. It's true. Because, yeah. I mean, like, a ballads, you, you know, are, it's much Most songs that say something are slow. You know, and so, so when you can find a, a, an up-tempo song that you know could be a, a great radio record but still packs a punch lyrically, that's, then you've really, you've really landed on something. Well, I've I've skipped over a few songs, but like I said, it's because you have so many, so we can can consider that a compliment to you. But oh, I, thank I, you. I, I did want to uh, mention I, I'm also a big fan of of couldn't last a moment from from the tracks album 2000. That could fall into that category, maybe as 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 anyone else, and I can still feel you that people maybe forget about until you play it. Oh yeah, and Jeffrey Steele, great another great writer, wrote that song and that album on tracks. Uh, Dan Huff was producing me, and we kind of wanted to take it a different direction and just see, let's let's make this record sound different than most Colin Ray albums, you know. And so that one, I mean, it had the talking, but, uh, I, you know, I thought it was over. I thought I could move. It had the kind of Barry White moment, you know. <laughs> when I, and I'd never, I'd never talked on a record before. And uh, I remember I did a, a duet with Dolly back in the in the 90s on an album she did, and, and, she, and it had a talking part in it, and she said, she goes, do you talk? <laughs> I was like, I said, what do you mean? She goes, you know, have you ever do you do you like to talk or talk in a song? I was like, well, I never have. And so, it, so it turned out she did the talking, which she's great, of course, one of the all time greats at that, you know. And so anyway, I, I, but I, I remember, okay, I'm gonna have to talk on this, you know. And uh, Conway used to do that a lot, you know, he would talk in his songs and, and whatnot, and and uh, so it had that kind of moment, and that's what I always remember about that one. But again, it was it was kind of pop, kind of contemporary sound. But again, with the number one, so we were we were just riding riding high at that time. I mean, this is this just about every song we put out went top five, if not number one. And and actually, couldn't last a moment holds the distinction of being my last number one. That was the last last chart topper I had. Yeah, yeah. And so that came out that came out twenty years ago, I guess, uh, in two thousand. Wow. So hard hard to believe, isn't it? It's been very hard to believe. <laughs> It's been a ride for sure. As we run out of time, Colin, is there any other song that I may have skipped over that you think does have an awesome story behind it you want to tell? Those are the ones to me. You pick the you pick the ones that to me are the are the the most memorable. 
Okay, good. You know, and so I, I think, but man, it was good. I love getting to do that. That's that's a. I appreciate you featuring me too on this. this I mean, that's that sounds like a really good show that you have that I would listen to all the time. I just as a fan, I think I think uh, fans who really love country music, this is the kind of thing they they love. It's, it's hearing the artists talk about the songs they know and hearing the backstory to them. It just it creates a whole other element. And so, man, I just appreciate you choosing me and put and including me. Honestly, Colin, you were one of the first people I thought of to have on this show. It took me a while to track you down, but man, it has been an honor and a privilege. It really has to be able to talk to you. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, buddy. Thank you so much. Well, when I'm up there again, once we get back on the road, please come to the show and, and I'm calling you from my number. So if you, if you ever, you need tickets or, or you're, you're going to be, you know, whatever, you know, just need to, please, please come when we're in the area and let me know, let me know you're coming. Absolutely. We'll do that. Colin, I, pre- I appreciate your time. Thanks again for being a part of the Honky Tonk Time Machine tonight. Oh man, thank you so much, Glenn. God bless you, man.